Masechet Ketubot, Daf Samechet. We're dealing with the problem of the rich-poor, which includes several categories. One is someone who was formerly rich and used to a high standard of living, but now is poor. And we saw a bunch of stories about that. Also, someone who is rich but is stingy and doesn't, uh, will not spend any money on themselves and whether we have to support them. So they are currently rich, but it's like they're poor. Other people are actually poor, but they refuse to be helped. So we have to help them also and give them a loan and make them feel, uh, have a way to, for, to help them with dignity. Uh, so that's yet another category. And the last one here that we're dealing with is someone who is fake. He's actually rich, but he's making believe he's poor. And so we saw Rabbi uh, Hanina gave food to such a family every week, but then it turns out that they didn't need it. They were swindlers, they were faking. And so instead of being upset about it, he said, right, we should be thankful to the tricksters, because if not for them, Every time that someone uh, asks for money and we don't give, we would be liable. They could call out and we would be we would have a sin. And, uh, and because they're around, so we have a way out. We could say, well, you know, there are a lot of swindlers around. So that's, you know, I, I, that's why I didn't give to that person. Okay, but now we're going to emphasize the uh, sin of uh, of not giving. Anyone who uh, averts his eyes, makes believe he doesn't see someone asking uh, so that he doesn't have to give charity, it's the same as idolatry. How do we know? Regarding not giving someone uh, alone when it comes close to the Shiviit year he says make be careful don't do that uh, maybe you'll be, have a evil thought in your heart a base thought bilial to say well this seventh year is coming I may not give him so that's called bilial and similarly regarding people who seduce others to come and do idolatry it also uses the word that's idolatry this is the same as idolatry. Hatanu Rabanan, Hamesame et Aino, Vamasbet Pitno, Vamakapech et Choko, Eno Niftam in Haulam, Alchebo, Lide Kach. Another statement about tricksters. Someone who makes believe he is blind, or makes believe his, his stomach is bloated as if he were uh, starving and hunger. Or he makes believe that his leg is, is uh, crushed, that he's lame. Uh, but he's only doing that so that he could collect money, he will not uh, leave the world until that actually happens to him. He's making believe, you know what, that's what you want, okay, he'll get it. And similarly, anyone who accepts charity, even though he doesn't need it, in the end, he will not leave the world until he actually needs it. All right, one more Mishnah from Pe'ah about the level, what is the um, uh, the level of poverty um, uh, below which someone is entitled to take Pe'ah and Leket and uh, charity funds. Mishnah teaches that uh, base, uh, the, the base amount in the Mishnah there is 200 dinar. If he has 200 dinar uh, liquid, then he, uh, or more, then he's not called poor. But if he has less than that, then he's poor and he's entitled. So now the question is, well, what if he has um, uh, uh, real estate? He has, uh, or vessels, things that are not liquid. So do we need to make him sell it? If he, then he'll be above the 200 mark. 
Mishnah says, no, we do not make him sell his house and his other vessels. Okay, we ask about the Mishnah. Velo, vehatanya, hayam ishtamesh bekle zahab, ishtamesh bekle kesef, bekle kesef, ishtamesh bekle nehoshet. Hold on, we have a Braita that says, if he, use, if he uses golden vessels, then he should use silverware. If he's used to silver, then he should use copper. In other words, he should sell um, his uh, fancy things for something lower, uh, in, and rather than take a charity. So how, do we, how, how can we reconcile this Mishnah with this Badaita? Where the one that says he's required to sell uh, is talking about his bed and his table. You have a fancy bed or a fancy table, sell it for a cheaper one. But regarding cups and plates, that even if they're, they're fancy, you don't have to sell it. Why not? That's the, so the Mishnah is talking about uh, tableware. So why not? Because he says, it's disgusting to me. Cups and plates are things that he's actually eating from. His food is touching it. And so if he's used to using gold, so and then you only give him silver, he, he's, it's really going to affect him. He won't be able to eat from that. From them, so we ask about that. So maybe a bed and a table also. He's like a bed, this kind of bed. I'm used to a fancier bed. I am I going to sleep on this? So what, we still don't understand. What's the difference? We're talking about something like a silver comb, which is a huge luxury. Even most most people don't have a silver comb, and so that kind of thing, or a, a, a comb made out of wood, uh, works just as well, and so it's just, if it's that kind of luxury, we make him sell it. But you're right, if it's something that is a regular use item, uh, like a tableware or a table itself, that he'll be disgusted with, then we don't make him sell it. Uh, that's one answer. Another answer. This depends at what point. If he acquired these uh, fancy items uh, before he came to collect charity, then we let him keep it. Right? He had them from before, so we don't make him sell it. He, but his cash is less than two hundred. He can take. Um, he can take charity. Whereas if he receives these fancy items after he already started collecting so then we say you can't keep them right somehow he got his hands on some uh, some fancy a fancy table fancy uh, tableware then he has to sell those um, in order to not uh, and and rather than continue collecting from charity all right next Mishnah Yetoma shesi ata ima o acheha midata you have an orphan girl, meaning her father died. Usually the father will set the amount of the dowry. But uh, since he's not around and uh, the mother the mother or the brother uh, are, are marrying her off, which they can do while she is still a minor. We talked about this. It's Kiddushin Midrabanan. And so they're the ones that are going to decide the dowry. And they write only a little amount, only a hundred or even less, 50 uh, zoos for her dowry. So you can understand why they would do that because the brothers are giving from their own estate. They're the ones that inherit the father. So they um, naturally want to be stingy. 
Uh, unless maybe they really like their sister, but let's say they are stingy and they give her very little. When she becomes an adult, she can look and say, what is this? Now I'm, I'm more aware. Well, you gave me only 50 zoos. I'm entitled to a tenth. We saw before that we encourage a father to give a tenth of all his property as a dowry. It's almost uh, kind of evens out the, the, uh, the inheritance depending on how many kids there are, of course, but this would be a significant sum that would be somewhat equal to the inheritance that the sons get, the daughter gets, by through, through the dowry. And it goes, in, it goes to her and her husband that they will use throughout the marriage. At the end of the marriage, she will get paid back from the husband that same amount. So when she gets older, she can say, hey, you only gave me 50. I never agreed to that. I was a minor. So even if it's mida'ata, even if she did agree to that as a minor, we just she, does, she didn't know what she was uh, talking about when she was a minor. She can protest when she's an adult and ha- take the full, uh, the full value of the pr- approximately a tenth. Okay, So Rebuda says, if the father did marry off the first, but he was alive when the first daughter got married, and then he died, and then they married off the second daughter. So we now we can estimate what he would want to give, right? We can tell this is the kind of person that gives his daughter X amount. That's what he gave his first daughter. So we do the same thing for the second. We assume he would have done the same thing. Hachamim say, not necessarily. Sometimes a person is poor and becomes wealthier. So maybe the first daughter, he gave a little, but then he'll want to give more. Or the other way around, maybe he gave the first daughter a lot because he was doing well that year, and then he, he became poor and he, he's going to give less. So you can't assume that whatever he gave the first, he would want to give the second. Rather, we don't use an we, we use an one objective amount. We take his uh, we appraise his property as it is at the time of his death, and we take a tenth of that, and that's what we use, whether it's more or whether it's less than what he gave to the first daughter. All right, so now we're going to analyze this Mishnah with the statement of Amar Shemuel, the Farnasa Shamin Ba'av. So the word Parnasa uh, can mean multiple things. It can mean uh, the what the father feeds the child, but the more usual meaning of Parnasa is the dowry. So for regarding the dowry, we have to estimate it based on what a father would give. In other words, people that know the father said, what kind of person was he? Was he generous? Did he like giving a lot? Would he want to give a large dowry or not? So that's how we decide how much it is. That's Shemuel's opinion. It's subjective based on what we know about the father. Now, we challenge Shemuel. We have a baraita that says that daughters are going to be fed and mitpanasot, the same word as parnasa, taken care of, sum dowry, from the property of the father. Now, kesad, en omrim ilu havi hakayam kafeka chaya noten la, ela sheminat nechasim notnim la. The Braita continues and explains how so. We do not say if, uh, if the father was alive, then he would want, we assume he would want to give this much or that much. In other words, we don't use a subjective standard by doing mind reading of what the father would have wanted. We estimate the property and then we give it to him. 
So estimate the property is an objective ratio. Now when it says parnasa, is this not talking about the dowry? It means the amount that goes to the husband. I mean, the hus- she brings it into the marriage and the husband will use it while they're married. Um, so isn't it talking about the dowry? And here it says the dowry is a certain per- is a given percentage of the property and not an estimate of what he has he he would have in mind. So this is against Shemuel. Says no no when it says parnasa here umit parnasot it's not the usual uh, uh, meaning of parnasa which usually means dowry or tabal but rather what she eats before she's married while she's in her, her father's home uh, the 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 father uh, and his estate have a kituba obligation to feed his daughter while she is young minor and unmarried so we're talking about that amount that that is a uh, the, this but saying is not in a subjective standard how much his father like to uh, spend on dinner but rather an objective standard that we assess based on the amount of the property. Okay, so now that way we answered the question of, of, of Shemuel, but we're not happy yet. Hold on, it says two things in the, in the Braita. It says Nizonet, so that's already talking about food. So therefore, Mitpanesot, Nizonet is already talking about food that she has while she's single. So therefore, Mitpanesot must be talking about the dowry, right? So one of them is Panasatabal, the other one is Panasatasma. So this is including the dowry and saying it's an objective uh, percentage against Shemuel. So we answer, Both of them are talking about what the estate has to give her while she's young. While she's a minor and single, and the two words, well, the Nizonitz is talking about food and drink, and Mitpanasot is talking about clothing and uh, cover, bed coverings. So uh, there's no problem with Shemuel. All right, so we answered that question, but we're going to have another question against Shemuel. Again, Shemuel said that it's a subjective standard that we do the mind reading. What the father would have wa- would have wanted. So we have say Tenan Hachamim. We're going to quote our Baramish now, where Hachamim say against the Biuda. Pamim shadam ani veheshir or ashir veheani el hashemin achasim venotnin la. We saw that according to Rabbi Yehuda, we look at the first order. How much did he give the first order? And based on that we can assume that he would give the same amount for the second daughter. In other words, it's subjective based on what we think he would have given. Uh, but And that would be inconsistent, the view that would be consistent with Shemuel. But Chachamim, the majority opinion, disagree and say, uh, no, it's a, an objective percentage of the property. The Chachamim, therefore, are not consistent with Shemuel. We further sharpen the, the, the challenge by proving that, according to Chachamim, we do not follow a subjective standard at all, not only if his assets change, but also if his mindset changes. So we ask, my ani or my ashir, what does poor and rich mean? If we follow the usual meaning, poor means uh, little wealth. Ashir means a lot of wealth. 
sabar afilo ashir ve'ani kedemei kadai habinana ha let le. So what would that mean for Tanakama who was Rabbi Huda? So he would say even if he was rich when the first uh, daughter got married and he was alive, and so he gave her a big dowry. And then he became poor and he died. So now when he dies, he has only a little bit of property and the second daughter is going to get married. Are you saying, Rabbi Yudah, oh, Rabbi Yudah said you have to treat the second like the first. So you should give her the same amount as the first. But he doesn't, simply doesn't have the money. So it's impossible to understand rich and poor in the, opinion, in the words of Chachamim to mean actually rich and actually poor because that doesn't make sense for Rabbi Yehuda. And there are left to be arguing about the same case. Rather, poor means poor in his mindset. Means even if he has money, but he's very stingy and doesn't want to pay, doesn't want to spend money. Or and ashir means he's rich in his mindset that he is happy to give a lot of dowry. He's very generous, and sometimes people change. And nevertheless, even though he changed his mindset. The Chachamim do not take that into account. Rather, they say, we assess the amount of the property and we take a percentage of it and we follow the assessment. So that is the opinion of Chachamim. So it's clear the Chachamim say, you follow an absolute objective percentage of the amount. And that is against Shemuel that says, we uh, psychoanalyze what his mindset would be. No, it doesn't matter what his mindset is. Shemuel goes against Chachamim. Our answer is that indeed you're right. Who Shemuel follows Rabbi Yudah, even though he's a minority opinion. Sometimes that happens. Our Mishnah: If he married off the first, he should give the same amount to the second. In other words, we're going to assess his mindset based on his prior actions. Uh, so we know, we, we assume that he stayed the same, and uh, someone who's generous is going to continue to be generous. That's the point. If he's stingy for the first one, he probably is going to continue to be stingy. People don't generally change their character traits. Hachamim say, sometimes they do, so it's impossible to assess. That's why they follow an objective standard. So there we go, Shemuel follows the Yudah. Good. Now, Shemuel, how come you don't just say a simple sentence? Why do you have to make up your own words? Because if he said, I would have thought we only follow his mindset when he already married off a first uh, first person because then he revealed what his mindset is. But if he never married, this is the first daughter getting married, then there's no way to know. Uh, and in that case, we would have followed an objective standard. That's why Shemuel used his own words to say, we follow a, an assessment of his mindset to teach that he was following the Buddha, and the Buddha would agree that it doesn't matter whether he... Um, had married off a daughter earlier or didn't marry off a daughter earlier. Nevertheless, we know him, right? People ask around, you know, what does he like to spend? Uh, and we can assess, even if we have no prior record of a dowry. Okay, so then why, in fact, in the Mishnah, does Buddha say that if, if the, talk about a case where he already married off one daughter, if it's the same law, whether he married off a daughter or not, 
is to teach you the strength of the rabbis. That even if he already gave a dowry to his first daughter, the first daughter who got married, and he revealed what kind of mindset he is, nevertheless, we don't assume that the same mindset for the second, maybe he changed his mindset. And therefore, we follow the assessment no matter what. So because it wanted to teach us that, Chidush, for Chachamim, that's why the Buddha said it's talking about a case, even it's talking about a case where uh, so, someone already got married, although the Buddha would say we follow an assessment of the mindset even if no daughter yet got married yet. Rav Chista's name actually has not come up before, but we're assuming that he would agree with this assessment that um, uh, Shemuel must have agreed with Rabbi Yehuda. So can we lecture this, even though it's a minority opinion? He says, yes, may it be God's will that you should teach all such wonderful statements in my name. I'd be honored to be quoted saying this. Oh, good. Now he asks, And did Rava also agree that Halacha follows Rabbi Yehuda? And the fact that Rava is asking the question, uh, can we teach this? That means Rava wanted to teach that Halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda. So did Rava think that we follow the subjective standard? Not the same as the Rabbi Yehuda from the fourth generation, this is from the fifth generation, Rabbi, says that a daughter is fed from the brothers, uh, from the property that they inherit. When, when, uh, when she gets money from the brothers, she takes a tenth of the property for the dowry, which means it's an absolute objective percentage of the entire property, not based on the what we think is the father's mindset. And Rava said, that is the halakha. So you see, Rava thinks that we follow an objective uh, percentage and not the subjective that sh- that Rabbi said and Shemuel said. So we answer, It depends on whether we're able to assess what the father wanted. When we talked about Rabbi Yehuda uh, up here, when he said, I would agree with Rav Chista, that we followed Rabbi Yehuda, and we assessed the father's mindset. That's when we knew the father. He lived around the community, and we people did business with him, and so we know and we're able to. Uh, but if we're not able to, he lives somewhere else. No one knows what his mindset is. Then we follow the objective standard of the B. So that's why the, B, the Rava actually said two different things. And in fact, this answer that we were kind of forced into is in fact quite reasonable. Uh, because Rabbi himself, we have the story where he gave a certain orphaned uh, bride one-twelfth of the father's property. So one-twelfth, that's not one-tenth. Over here he said one-tenth. But in that story he gave one-twelfth. Why? So the Biyu Danasi is contradicting himself. Rather, you see that in order to reconcile the B, we have to assume that when he said, do you give a tenth, that's uh, what Rava quoted, that's talking about where 
we were unable to um, to assess what his mindset is. So we did the standard amount of one-tenth. Whereas, in this case, we're, uh, story that we quoted later, when he said one-twelfth, that was because we did, were able, we did know, and we were able to under, to realize that he was a little stingier than uh, average, so he only gave a twelfth rather than a tenth. And so since we're going to have to say something, say this in order to reconcile to be himself, so when Ravah says, Halacha is like Rabi, uh, it makes perfect sense that uh, Ravah would agree with Rabi that it depends on, we can only assess when there is something to go by when we know him. All right, Gufa Amar Rabi. Now more uh, about analysis of the statement of Rabi. Habat nizonet minachin notelet isur nechasim. The daughter who is sustained from an inheritance that the brothers have, she gets one tenth of the dowry. Okay, so that was he was that we were saying that um, she, assuming she is young and so uh, she's a minor, and that's why she gets the uh, she continues to be fed from the inheritance. So too, uh, when she gets married off as a minor. She will get a tenth of the dowry. So the others say to the say to the bee, according to you, that was there's an absolute objective percentage. What if a person a man has ten daughters and a, a son? So now the daughters are going to get each get ten percent. That adds up to a hundred percent. That means. The son will have zero. The son will inherit nothing. So that this doesn't make sense that we should give a tenth to every daughter. So he answers, This is how I, I calculate it. The first one does get 10%. The next one will only get 10% of what's left over. So that would be uh, the first one took 10. There's 90 left. 10% of that. The next second one will only take nine percent. Ushit b'mashashira. The third one will take what's left over of that. It'll end up going uh, seven point three percent, six point six, five point nine, five point three, five, four point eight, four point three, and the last one would get three point nine. Now you'll say, hold on, that's not really fair that the oldest one will get 10% and the last one to get married just because she's she uh, she's younger and she waited longer. She only gets 3.9? No. What they do is they add up what all that adds up to, the sum of all those percentages, uh, what, I mean, the average, uh, which ends up being 65% of the total. And they split that into 10 parts. So it's not that the first gets 10% and the last gets 39 but we do the calculation, what that would be, and then add it all up, it's 65%, and so therefore they each get 6.5, all the daughters get 6.5%, and that leaves over 35% for the son. So that's how the B does it. Okay, kol chada vechada, shakla. And now we ask, wait, why, why, why do that? Maybe each daughter should get there, the 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 ten percent at the time. After all, if the father was alive, right? He would give ten percent to the first one, and then there would be less uh, for the second. And so, why not, in fact, go from ten all the way down to the last one gets only three point nine percent? You're right. If they get married at different times, then indeed that's what would happen if the father was alive. That's what happens now that the father ha- ha- has died. 
when the Rebbe said in the Brayta that they distribute equally, that was talking about a case where they all come and get married at the same time. They all met their husbands, all ten of them, and they're getting married at the same time. So then we're not going to give the, the the oldest one or any one of them ten, another one 3.9, uh, but rather we um, add it all up, divide it by ten. It comes out to 6.5. Okay, Misele the Rav Matana, and this uh, supports what Rav Matana said. The Matana in Baldi Nase Kulam Kehad. If all the daughters come and get married at the same time, not lot Isurehad, they take one tenth. Now we ask Isurehad Zakadatech, all them only get a tenth, all ten of them. That's one percent each. No, obviously not. Ella not not Isur Kehad. Rather, they take a tenth. Equally, so they can't each get a tenth because then that will leave the son with nothing. Uh, instead, it means that we do the calculation as above and each get six point five percent. All right, next baraita unrelated subject in Rabbanan. Habanot ben bagru nisu ben nisu bagru ibedu One of the requirements in the Kutubah is that the father or his estate have to take care of his has to feed his daughters. Until when? Well, and until either they become an adult, they become 12 and a half, even if they're not married, or they become married even if they're not an adult yet. Either way, they the inheritance does not need to pay for their food anymore. And also, they do not lose their parnasatan here means dowry. So according to the B, they only get food when they are young and minors and unmarried. Uh, once they either grow up or they are married, they lose their food sustenance uh, stipend. But their dowry they keep. So even if she's an adult, she still gets the one tenth dowry, according to the B. Rabbi Shimon ben El Azar Omer, Af ibedu parnasatan. He says, No, once they become an adult, then they lose their right to the dowry. So this is not good. Kesad hen also. So what should they do? Uh, you know, if they don't find a husband uh, when, when they're a minor, what, what are they going to do? So they will hire a husband and that way they can extract the dowry. Uh, they kind of do some kind of marriage so that they'll get their dowry and then I guess if it works out, they'll stay. If not, then, uh, then not. But the point is they do some kind of a loophole, uh, you know, a, a marriage for a day or something like that, uh, so that they get their dowry amount and uh, get out um, uh, while they can, and uh, then they'll, you know, if she, uh, since she has the money, then she'll be okay. All right, Amad Av Nachman, Amali Huna Hilchetake to be, we follow to be that she gets the dowry even after she grows up. Nachman, Rava asks a question to Av Nachman, Yetoma. He's quoting our Mishnah that says a uh, orphan girl whose mother or brother marry her off and she agrees to it. But at the time, their brothers say, oh, we're only giving you 100, only 50. They chinch out. Since she got married when she was a minor, when she gets, when she grows up, she can protest and say, hey, I want the full amount. That was our Mishnah. So we can infer from the, the fact that the Mishnah talked about 
only a case of a minor who was married off, then when she grows up, she has a right. That means if she got married as an adult, then she loses her right. And that was, uh, seems to be a proof for Rabbi Shimon ben El Azad and a challenge to Rabbi. So, Rav Nachman, um, uh, uh, how could you say uh, that halacha is like Rabbi if it goes against the Mishnah? And we answer, La kashya ha dimhai ha la mehai. Oh, it depends if she protests or not. When she's an adult, uh, so if she's a minor and she grows up, uh, then she can protest and say, I want it. Um, if she is an adult she and she protests, then she does collect the whole dowry, as Rabbi said. But if she is an adult and uh, she doesn't protest, uh, she, uh, the, the, the father, the, the brother, uh, the brothers who hold the estate say, hey, we're going to give you just 50. And she says, okay. And then later on, after she's married, she says, wait a second, I want the whole thing. No, no good. She has to say it at the time of the marriage if she's an adult. So in fact, we can reconcile to be with the Mishnah. And in fact, this makes sense, this answer for the Because if we don't answer that way, we'll have a contradiction between two statements of the Bizonet La. We had a Braita we saw earlier that according to the B, a a daughter whose father died, and she has received sustenance from the brothers. Receive sustenance, that means she's a minor. That's when she receives sustenance. So if she is a minor and she has sustenance, then she gets Isur Nasrim, she gets a tenth in the dowry. So it sounds like if she's a minor, yes, she gets a dowry. If she's not a minor, if she's an adult, then she does not get one. Now, how could this be? The B here says, that as an adult she does not get a dowry, but uh, this Baraita here said that she does get a dowry, even as uh, the full dowry of a tenth, even as an adult. Rather, the one that says that she gets it is where she protested at the time uh, of the of the wedding. Before she got married, she says, no, I want my full amount. So that's what's talking about in the B'raita above. And here, this B'raita says only if she's a minor, that's when she doesn't protest. If she's a minor and doesn't protest at the time of the marriage, well, she was, yeah, she was, a, a, she was a child, so she didn't know better. Uh, then she has a right to come later on and collect it. But if she's an adult and at the time of the marriage, she, she says, okay, fine, I'm good with 50, then she loses her right to um, come and ask for it afterward. afterwards. So Shema Amina, we learned that, in fact, we must say that the B will distinguish between those two cases. Good. Uh, Ravina says to Rava that Ravada said this following thing in your name, Rava, that you said this. Uh, what did he say? Bagra Veniset Serichalim Hot. 
If a girl grows up and becomes an adult, uh, so then uh, from her birthday onwards, when she comes to get married, she does not need to protest. She gets the one-tenth. She can assume that she will get the one-tenth without protesting. This is going to be the main line we need. If she was already married as a child and uh, she agreed to less to just 50 zoos, uh, then uh, she does not need to protest at the time of the marriage. When she grows up, she can always um, come and demand it later. However, if she was an adult and she married as an adult and she agreed to 50, then she needs to protest right at that time. Uh, if they offer 50, the brothers offer 50, she has to protest right at that time and say, no, I'm not okay with that. Otherwise, because she's an adult and she already married, agreeing to that is no good. She has to protest before the marriage. Okay, so that is, they said, we heard Dava say that. Um, uh, uh, say the statement. But did he really say this? Uh, we just saw that Rav is the one that challenged Rav Nachman from our Mishnah, which was the case of a Yetoma, and it said that yes, a minor who uh, gets married and the brothers give her less than 50, then when she grows, she does not need to protest. When she grows up, she can come and say, hey, uh, you owe me the full tenth. And we, the the, the essence of the question was, you see the Mishnah only says a minor, but if it's an adult, then the adult cannot collect. And that was a contradiction. And Vishani Le, and he answered, that the Mishnah is talking about a case where she did not protest. That's why she would only get it as a minor but not as, as an adult because the adult did not she did not protest as an adult but if she did protest as an adult that was the bright over there that as an adult she can collect and so since Rava was involved in that conversation must be that he agrees that in order for it to collect as an adult she has to protest but over here it says an adult does not need to protest so which one is it and we answer, We had yet another factor. If she's still being sustained by the brothers, even after the marriage, like the brothers are very nice. They really don't have to, because we saw after, the, after she's married or becomes an adult, they don't have to give her food anymore. But let's say they do give her some food. And so that's why she was embarrassed to come and protest when they said, we're only going to give you 50. In that case... There's a good reason why she shouldn't protest. So her lack of protesting is not really, um, it does not show that she agreed to it. And in that case, she can come after and say, hey, I uh, I demand, I want to uh, come and take it. So that's why it says here, whereas the Mishnah that just assumed only as a, a minor she doesn't have to protest, but as an adult, she does have to protest. That's when she was not being sustained by them, and uh, that's why uh, she had no reason to be embarrassed and say, "Hey, I want the I want the full amount." Since she was an adult and she didn't ask for the full amount, therefore she loses out. All right. Now, one last point about the obligation of the father to pay for the dowry. 
Amarav Huna Amarabi Parnasa Enakit Nai Ketuba. The dowry that the father has to give to his daughter is not does not have the same status as a stipulation in the Ketuba. A stipulation in the Ketuba would be like the added amount over the two hundred that the um, uh, that the husband uh, agrees to give her. Uh, so these are different. So how are they different? My If this means that the amount for the dowry uh, that the father needs to give to his daughter can be collected from leaned property, whereas the condition of a, of a kentubah does not get collected from leaned property. Now, generally, kentubah and anything in the kentubah uh, can be, you can, co- like, uh, she collects it from land. But not if the land is already sold. Um, then they can't go back and recollect the land that was sold. There's no lien to pay for a, a, a kentubah or the conditions of the kentubah. So, according to this answer, the obligation to pay for a dowry would be even greater. So then we ask, Well, what is this teaching? We see all the time cases where we appropriate money from lien property to pay for uh, for uh, the dowry, but we do not do that for the other obligations of the Ketubah. So this is obvious. Okay, maybe you'll say that uh, the, the paying the dowry also is still is stronger uh, because she can collect it from movable items, whereas the uh, conditions of the Ketubah only from land and not from movable items. Well, let it be according to the Biudanasi, both the dowry amount and the condition of the Ketubah are collected from land and movables. The B thinks that both of them can be collected. So therefore, that would not be a difference between the two. So uh, this is in the name of the B. So that can't be what the B meant. So what distinction is the B in fact making between them? What did the B mean that the dowry payment is not the same as the condition of the ketubah. So this is the final answer. That if a father says, "I don't, uh, I don't want my," he's before he dies. He says, "I don't want my daughters to be fed." from my property. He refuses that. We don't listen to him because that's one of the basic conditions in the Ketubah, so he has to do it. Uh, he is, is pre-obligated. He has no way to deny that. However, if he says, I don't want my daughters to get a dowry from my estate, that he has a right to do that. Just like when he's alive, he can say, I don't want to give a dowry. Like we saw above, he makes a stipulation with the future son-in-law, so I'm not giving a dowry. Right? So that he has a right to. It's not very nice to do, but he has a right to do it. Because a dowry is not like a Tanai Ketubah, so it must be that's what the Biudanasi meant by his statement. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.